This podcast is sponsored by Police Bank. Police Bank is a member-owned bank. Therefore, the focus is always on the members. With an emphasis on people, Police Bank shows its commitment by supporting various organisations, community groups, social clubs and sporting teams within the policing community. Police Bank works hard today to continue to protect the financial security and well-being of members of the police force and their families, friends and communities. Welcome to Inside the New South Wales Police Force, Real Cops, Real Stories. I'm your host, Adam Shand. In 1963, on a country road near Wagga Wagga, Constable First Class Cyril Howe gave his life in service of his community. A simple arrest turned into a gun battle, and the 32-year-old husband and father never made it home. We remember Cyril Howe and all police who've died in the line of duty. Behind those officers are families and loved ones who must carry on despite their loss. Since 1987, New South Wales Police Legacy has been helping the families of fallen officers and also of deceased retired officers whose loved ones need a hand through direct financial support and other means. There was no such help available to Cyril Howe's family in the 1960s and times were often tough. Back then, community members created a fund to get the family back on their feet after the tragedy. And to tell that story, I'm joined by Kim Howe, the daughter of the late Cyril Howe. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Adam. A week before Christmas, 1963, your family made the ultimate sacrifice. What memories do you have of that time? You were only four. All I can really remember, and I haven't delved back because it's too, too hard, is Christmas Day, us three children were in the front yard. We weren't allowed in the house for whatever reason. Mum wasn't coping, I don't think. And we were in the front yard of our house and we had our Christmas presents. And that's really on that, around that immediate time, that's my only memory. And I'm sure over time you've learnt what happened to him and the way he conducted himself on that day. What have you learnt? I've learnt that he was... um, a very determined man, um, loved his job, wanted to do it thoroughly and did pay the ultimate sacrifice. Like it, it's terrible what he went through. I'd hate to anyone to go through what he, he went through. Could you tell us as best you can the events of that day and what you learned about what happened to your father? I learned that he called home that day and knew a gentleman was in the vicinity who had um, stolen some farm equipment, had bounced a few checks, and he was in the nearby vicinity. So Dad mentioned to my mother, he's in the area and I'm heading out, and that was to find him, and that was the last she saw of him, and he just never came home. And, yeah, after that, I, I can only imagine how difficult it would have been for Mum to cope and and handling us three young kids because she would have been on her own. I do remember on that Christmas day her mother did fly up from Sydney and she was there. I do remember her her being there. And it wasn't until years later that my aunt actually did a scrapbook of all the paperwork because we never delved into it because mum never got over it and it was really upsetting for her to discuss it. And my aunt did a beautiful scrapbook for all us, us three kids 
with all the information from every bit of newspaper about it. So we got the full story. We got the full story then. We, yeah, were able to read it and see it. And I've still got it. We've, my brothers have still got it. It is an amazing story and I really should, uh, for the benefit of the listeners, just narrate the details. And I'm sorry if this is painful for you, but the heroism is, is outstanding at the same time. Kim's father, Constable Cyril Howe, was um, contacted about locating a a 47-year-old man, William Little. He was wanted for questioning over the theft of a checkbook belonging to his former employer. Constable Howe located Little driving along a country road. Little, for no good reason, suddenly drove in the opposite direction at high speed and a pursuit began. A short time later, Little stopped the vehicle and Constable Howe approached. Little opened the driver's door and surprisingly, armed with a shotgun, fired at Constable Howe, striking him in the stomach. Little then used children in the car as a human shield as he continued shooting. Constable Howe took cover from behind the police vehicle and refusing to shoot directly at Little for fear of striking the children, he fired his service weapon wide of Little in a futile attempt to intimidate him into surrendering. During the dramatic gun battle, Constable Howe's pistol jammed and he was again shot. Little then drove from the scene with the children. Despite being fatally wounded, as it turned out, Constable Howe entered his, his vehicle, which was now ridden with bullets, and drove it a short distance before running off the road into a gully. It wouldn't be until 1am the following day, Friday 20 December 1963, that a nearby farmer heard the distant sound of a continual car horn. Upon investigating, he found the constable slumped against the steering wheel pressing the horn. This was his way of raising the alarm. Several more hours passed before Constable Howe was finally admitted to Wagga Wagga Base Hospital, but sadly he would succumb to his injuries. Luckily though, Constable Howe was able to describe in detail what had occurred and who had done it. He also wrote on his notebook, little, little, little shot me. Tragic, tragic story. And can only imagine the family having to cope with the aftermath of that. Kim, tell us what it was like. I guess learning about that story and living with the aftermath of that terrible moment. Uh, I just remember another memory when I was around that era, around that time. Um, it would have been hard for mum to explain it to us, sit down us as young children and another horrible part was I found out from some local kids that were laughing at me saying I didn't have a father. And so I went home and confronted mum about it and that's when yeah, she told me. It was quite a, a verbal argument. I was only four but I still remember that quite vividly. And just living with it and hearing what happened to it, I'm so sorry. It's just very emotional all the time. and hearing what he went through, it was, it's disgusting. A week after your father's death, police located the bodies of Little and his teenage stepdaughter in a shed on a property within the district. Little had shot the girl before turning down on himself. It was later learned that Little had been involved in an inappropriate relationship with the child. So this is just tragedy all round. I like to say that e evil can win on one day, but good plays the long game. And your family has 
tried its best to move on from that tragedy. I don't know what my brothers thought, but I felt as though we were, we were very different to the others who we grew up with because we didn't have a father, and I thought we were the only ones. I wasn't aware that there were others until I became a, an adult. And, um, yeah, we just thought we were a little bit different, and it was hard. And Mum, we had a close-knit family with Mum and my grandmother and my her mother and plus his mother, both the men in the family had all passed on um, through different circumstances. And so we had, mum had that little bit of support there because she pursued a, a golfing career. So she wasn't home much um, when she was touring. But uh, so we had had that support with Nan. And it would have been hard in those days. There's a lot of single parents out there. I was a single parent for a while. So, but back then, you didn't really see it. Everyone lived normal lives. There was always a father and a mother. And I never discussed it. I never had that opportunity because I don't think we kept it very close. How did mum cope financially after losing dad's wage? I think when we left Oaklands, we moved into a commission flat at Malabar in Sydney. And I was fortunate enough that I was still too young to go to school. However, there was a relative who was a principal at the the primary school. So that gave mum a bit of relief I, I went to school, I was keen to go. And then she must have, maybe through the police, I don't know, she must have got enough deposit to purchase a place at um, in Guyme Bay. And yeah, she we didn't rent for long, so she must have received a little bit of money or had some money saved up, I'm not too sure. And we did our primary school years there. I found reference in news clippings to a Cyril Howe fund set up by the community, which gave generously. Enough for the family to buy a house. And um, so she's always owned, she's done well, she's always owned her own own home. So she was very astute with the money and I think the police pension really, really helped as she got older when she was able to get a Commonwealth Government pension, the police pension really helped. But I didn't know I think everyone was the same in that era in the 60s and 70s we you know you're not like kids today you you just may do and I didn't feel that we were any different than any others really in that sense and I'd imagine that your father's police colleagues would have reached out from time to time to the family because they'd be feeling the grief and loss of what happened uh I'm not aware of that then but certainly now the police family are absolutely wonderful like they um, organised a 50-year reunion of, of this incident um, in Oakland and the community is just wonderful, the police community. I follow them on, on social media and and just they're all so close and it's just beautiful to know and to know that they're there now. It is wonderful. And now that I've recently retired, I certainly, it's my aim to help with the police legacy when I get home. I've tra- been travelling a little bit now. What would you like to do? I live on a coastal area and I've already arranged with a neighbour to get in and do a a big paddle around an island that's near us and sort of raise awareness in our area for police legacy because I don't hear of it in our area. So that's one of the things that I really want to do, yeah. Get involved now that I've retired because it was, yeah, it's hard work working full time. Every time, any time I hear of a policeman dying who's got a young family or even adult children it's in tragic ways or 
or however, it hits home and you do want to help them. You want to be there for support, even if I don't know whether I could help chatting to them, but um, certainly I want to help raise money or, you know, get involved and and be some sort of help that I can. And I guess it helps to make your loss seem connected to events today and that the memory of your father lingers on through legacy and just the care for each other. What are the memories that your mother has and maybe shared with you of your father? (laughs) Not much, really. She struggled to cope and to talk about it. And that's another thing. I want to be able to talk about it more so I can cope because when the subject does come up, I struggle. And and she always did. That might have been a legacy from her. I don't know. But um, I don't – him as the person, I don't, don't know him that well. And that's the sad part. Him as the policeman, I'm very proud of him. Um, it's very sad what happened. But him as a person, I – as a real person, I don't really know him. And your mother's passed away now. Yeah, she passed away a few years, uh, a couple of years ago. She was in a nursing home down down near us and just through old age. Yeah, she's since passed away. But she's with him now. She, you know, he was the love of her life. If you could ask them both questions now, what would those questions be? That's a hard one. <laughs> I haven't really thought about that, Adam. Um no, I just well, one. I would just really wonder what our life would be if that that didn't occur. It'd be really interesting. I'm looking at a photo of your father in his police uniform. Big, strong man. Big smile on his face. Big, open Australian face. He looks like a kind man, a decisive man, a man of indomitable spirit. Is that how you see him? I do see him as a kind man. My mother always said my my brother, my middle brother, Mark, was very like him and, and Mark had a real soft spot when he was young, when he was younger. And I could certainly see Dad as like someone who, who would help in the community because I did hear, that's one thing, you've just brought back a memory, he did help with the where we're living in Oaklands in this small country town, he did help with the local swimming pool and trained kids swimming. So he was very community-minded. So, yeah, I can imagine he'd be a a lovely person, of course. Because those country cops, they were chosen for their character. They were You were living and working in the police station. There was no division between family life and the community. You could get a knock on the door at any time of the day or night and you to be called out, whether it was to sort of a, a dispute out at the pub or or a family dispute at home or or a natural disaster or a car accident, whatever it was. So those police officers had to have big hearts. And I think in his final moments, if you don't mind me saying so, you see that character displayed. And we're so lucky that he managed to narrate that final scene because there he is, he's wounded, He's facing more danger. He sees an offender. He's using children as a human shield. And your father chooses to shoot wide of the offender so there's no chance of the children being injured. I mean, this action almost certainly cost him his life. But 
those children had a future because your father put them before his own safety. That tells me everything I'd need to know about Cyril Howe. Correct. That's a really good vision of him. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how I feel. I definitely do. What's your life been like since? Tell me, t- tell me the Kim Howe story. Um, I've had a normal, normal life. I've lived the best I could. I, I know I try not to look back. I don't want to look back because there's things that I could have done better, of course, and things that I could have achieved that I would have liked to have that I didn't. But yeah, we've just a normal life and enjoy life, trying to enjoy life to it to the max. I'm living in a beautiful part of Australia now. I've finally got there. I've got a beautiful daughter and, and um, she's married to a lovely man and I've got two gorgeous grandchildren and they make a, a bit of effort to go to, for me because they live in Sydney. They do go to the police um, remembrance days. And incidentally, it was interesting, my daughter, when she first moved to Sydney and, and um, before she had children, she was living in the city, she was playing sport near the, uh, is it this park that's the domain where the police memorial is? And when she showed me one time where she was playing sport after work, I said, oh, this is where your, your grandfather's memorial name is. And she couldn't believe it. It was She'd been playing netball there and different sports for quite some time and didn't realise it was right next door to the memorial. So yeah. that was really special. Has your daughter or grandchildren even expressed expressed a desire to go into the police force? No. I Interesting enough, I thought about it at one stage when that she was, I had my daughter by then and she, and I really second thoughts, had second thoughts. I just thought, no, nah, I couldn't, couldn't go into it with it. If I didn't have a child, I definitely would have considered it. And no, she hasn't, and they're too young. They're still in primary and first year high school to even consider that. But seriously, Adam, I if they did, I I would have to talk them out of it. Why? Well, to be a policeman, and especially today, it's a harder world and tougher world out there. And to be a policeman, it's a, you have to be a special person. Well, you have to be special, but you oh, I don't know how they cope. In this day and age, and it's a and it's wonderful, and and I admire any of them that do. But what a hard profession! No, it is. Yeah, it'd be too hard, too dangerous. And when you think of what conditions your father had to cope with back in the day, no radios in the car. Had he had a radio, he could have called for help. Um, as a result of his gun jamming during the firefight with Little, you can see how. He had to make a plan to overcome those issues and grievously wounded, he continued to make a plan and that's what the police do. I think it's that putting yourself in harm's way and then continuing to make a plan to get through no matter what the circumstances. That's the police spirit in my opinion and I can't help but feel that some of that spirit's in you. Your your father's daughter. (laughs) I've never thought about it. Um, I suppose it, it tries to make you strong with different things, but, you know, I'm just like everyone else. Everyone else has uh, troubles through their life. You can have good times and bad times, and I suppose at bad times you just find that strength from somewhere. But, yeah, certainly what he did, I just think it's it's amazing, like, 
I don't think I could be that brave, really, and that tough. And I am very, very proud of what he did. <laughs> but you know what I'm really proud of is your mother's selfless struggle to continue providing for your family, not complaining, not wallowing in self-pity. Her grief was deep and unending, but she gave you and your siblings a life despite that. Yeah, she did. I think um, now that she's passed, we look back and and, and think that, because friends of ours and her friends used to say, oh, it must be tough for you, June. And, and she says, yeah, but I get through. And yeah, that always sort of came back yeah, it has been tough, but us, we used to say, oh, you just got to get on with it. And we never really gave her the sympathy. Her friends did and um, everything, but we never really gave her the sympathy. We used to just say to her, come on, get on with it. And it's now that she's passed and if I'm thinking about what she went through, yeah, it it would have been tough for her. It would have been disgusting. But, um, yeah, she did it. So that's pretty amazing. I can almost hear your father saying exactly that. This is the lot of the country copper. Get on with it. No choice. Yep, I think that's how we were brought up and and the way you coped. Just get on with it. If you've been dealt this, you've got to deal with it. As you say, police face a dangerous, often thankless task in the community. And every so often... We do hear of a police member losing their life and there's always a family behind or loved ones, friends. What would you say to others who've lost loved ones in the New South Wales Police Force about coping, about living with that loss and grief? Just hold the, the, the lost one's memory close to your, close to your heart and, and think about them and, and pray for them and move on and get on with life. But if you do need help to, in this day and age, there is help out there to to talk to people, to help you grieve and help you get through it. I think that's years ago, yeah, you just get on with it and um, you grieve in your own way or you cope in your own way. But, yeah, today I think just hold them close to your heart always and their memory and that will help you get through Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Kim. Thank you, Adam. It's been lovely chatting to you. That was Kim Howe, the daughter of deceased Police Sergeant Cyril Howe, who tragically lost his life in 1963. And there are lots of families in New South Wales who understand what Kim's been through and will go through in the future. So it's time to get behind police legacy to understand how those families are looked after and just what sacrifice members like Cyril Howe make to the community and how that lingers and lingers. In a moment, I'll be speaking with the Chair of New South Wales Police Legacy, Superintendent Donna McCarthy, about the amazing work going on with police legatees. After these messages from our sponsors. Whether you're thinking about buying your first home, refinancing your home, or thinking about your next investment property, Police Bank has a range of home loans to help. With competitive interest rates for our members and even further discounts for members of the police force. Get in touch with Police Bank today to find out more. Eligibility and lending criteria apply. See terms and conditions in the show notes for more information. 
This podcast is also proudly brought to you by Charles Sturt University, providing education for the New South Wales police force and law enforcement worldwide for over 30 years. Do you want to become a cop or further your policing career? We can help. Visit csu.edu.au forward slash policing to learn more. Welcome back to this special episode looking at the sacrifices the families of police officers make for their loved ones' service. Stories like Cyril Howe's resonate deep in the police family. Over decades, there was talk of creating a police legacy fund to assist the families of police who died on active duty, but also retired police whose families were in need. New South Wales Police Legacy was established in 1987. I'm joined now by Superintendent Donna McCarthy, who's the Chair of Police Legacy New South Wales. Welcome to the podcast, Donna. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell me about your career. How did you get to where you are? You're a superintendent. The previous Chair of New South Wales Police Legacy, Gary Merriweather, retired. And I was very grateful to be placed in this very important role. I've um, been in the police 37 years and... I worked in many places, but mostly in the city and mostly as a detective, but more recently in northwest metropolitan region, in places like Riverston and um, Parramatta PTC and then at at Mount Druitt and around those areas. And after that, um, moved into Police Legacy. I've been here for just over a year and have um, had a lovely career over 37 years and the benefit of working with a lot of police who unfortunately some have passed away before their time and others passed away through more natural circumstances, but I now get to spend time with their families, which is just lovely. The policeman who put you in for this interview, Senior Constable Ash Bold, said you were the only superintendent who's never yelled at him. He's been wonderful. He's lovely with families. He's lovely with going to that next level of detail to find out the circumstances of a police story or a police history, especially um, police that passed away over 100 years ago. He, he's found connections to families that have had no contact with police. He's found them. On Police Remembrance Day, he brought together this amazing group of people that received the Touchstone, which is a permanent mem- memorial made by Canberra. For the National Police Memorial Wall, they create a touchstone for every police officer killed on duty. Ash went out of his way more than anyone ever would have to find families and lost relatives and stories about these police officers, some from 100 years ago, some from 50 years ago, some from this century, to make sure that they got the replica of this touchstone. And, And he's an amazing police officer and I'm very fortunate to have not yelled at him to date. Yeah, but there's still time yet. (laughs) Military service, police, emergency services generally, they're too busy doing the job normally to really spend a lot of time looking back. But it is important because the members who put themselves in harm's way need to be looked after, not just them, but their families. Tell us about the mission of Legacy. So this is... Honestly, what really resonated with me when I started in this role, and I heard um, Mark Burris say it, and he he is an ambassador for police boxing and police legacy, and Mark Burris said it one day, and I didn't really appreciate it until he mentioned it. And sometimes, as you say, when you're in the thick of it and you're working, you don't think at these levels. But 
Mr. Burroughs did, and he, he said was the effect of that the family don't understand what the police officer is signing up for. They don't understand the sacrifice that may, may be made. But they are along for the ride and they go along with it. And unfortunately, should the worst occur, they bear the price, they bear the cost. And it really resonated with me when he said that. And sometimes you, you, you're thinking of your own risk and you're thinking of what might happen to you. Of course, you worry about your family, but you don't really appreciate how much they had nothing to do with the decision to be there or not, especially if, if you haven't had children before you start and things like that. So based on that, it really, really struck a chord and it, it set a firm path for me to make sure that those people that didn't sign up for the same risk get the best support we could possibly give, which has been the, the theme throughout all the police legacy. It had a wonderful start in 1987. It's commenced with the Deputy Commissioner Barney Ross at the time with the support of the New South Wales Police Association, who s supported not only in kind, but also with financially, but also with the police minister at the time, George Petulio. The government donated in 1987 a quite considerable sum of money of $50,000 to get police legacy up and running. And, and away it ran. And it started from those humble beginnings of that one, one police officer being there as a part-time sort of a, a role into the go going concern as it is today with 11 staff members and uh, myself a police officer as its chair. And when we started, you know, the, the policing numbers were smaller in number. And now as we've gotten through the years, 37 years away, when we started those police legatees, so when a police officer passes away, their spouse or their child becomes a police legatee. And those children and those partners have grown through those 37 years. They, they're with us for life. And we, we started small and we've, as, we're, as they've aged, and the services we provide have grown with what they need as they go through their own lives. And nowadays, with the natural passing of time, we've got an increased numbers of police legatees because there's a bigger population, a bigger police service, bigger police force. Obviously, you've been running since 1987. but Families have been in need for a lot longer before that. We've just spoken to Kim Howe, whose father, Constable Cyril Howe, was murdered on duty in the midst of a heroic response. And this was the 20th of December, 1963. Kim's first sense that her father was gone was being around the Christmas tree, opening the presents with no father. I too am a legatee and I've experienced something similar. Fortunately, I was a bit older. I was 25, but I had younger brothers, four younger brothers after my father passed away. But I have a similar story, which is what I tell the new police recruits at the Goulburn Academy when I'm explaining the importance of police legacy. So in 1960, there was Senior Constable Clarence Roy Peary passed away arresting some car thieves, basically. They were 14-year-olds and they shot and killed him. And Senior Constable Peary had four young children under 10 and a wife and they lived in the local lock-up keepers, so it's a police-funded residence. And we, they had a tremendous funeral and obviously honoured his passing. However, within a couple of weeks, the family had to leave that police residence and their main source of income, their only source of income was um, 
St. Cuthbert Peary. So Mrs. Peary and the four children were homeless. To cope with that, they basically had to find a way so she could work and have her children minded. So two, two of the boys went down south to Melbourne and two of the girls went to family members within New South Wales. And it took Mrs. Peary a number of jobs and a number of years to get the family back together. But by that time, there's quite some disconnect and dysfunction that comes naturally from the trauma of losing your parent and then losing your other parent because of circumstances where they had to work to find a way to get you all back together. And that terrible set of circumstances and that impact on that family is still felt today. One of the one of the boys remembers being very young in the cold Melbourne winter sleeping on the veranda crying for his mother because unfortunately he couldn't be with her and there was just very difficult circumstances where they were in Melbourne. But his siblings still to this day, they find life very difficult. And um, he's, he joined the police as a, an unsworn member of police, a civilian administrative assistant, and speaks very fondly of his time with Police Legacy, which thankfully we were able to find him once we were up and running, but we weren't at the time his father passed away. And he assisted with police luncheons and, and the like and has been... Um, you know, he doesn't mind me using this circumstance of his of his life to explain the importance of police legacy and the difference from when we weren't around to uh, to now when we are around to assist the police family, help people get back up on their feet when they've lost their police person. My grandfather's father was a police officer and he passed away when he was seven. So my grandfather's a legatee. He was the commissioner at the time, known as the Inspector General, Ernest Charles Day. He's my mother's father. So then my mum married my dad. He's a police officer and he passed away when he was 47. He was only young. I was 25 at the time and I have four younger brothers. So we became legatees, my mother and myself and my brothers. And lo and behold, at the time of my dad's passing, he worked at the police welfare branch when police legacy was being decided upon and and in the background. So it's just like a, a full circle that I'm actually working in a similar environment now. I see now why he did that because it's very good work, very rewarding work. Terrific today that legacy recognises the extent of people's service because this is not just people who die while in the job. There's also situations where retired police who pass away may also be eligible, at least their families, to be legatees? So we support the families in a number of ways. It depends. It's very specific to that family in, in uh, circumstances and we like to make it as close to what they need. We meet with the family and we see what their circumstances are and how we can support if they have children. There's a certain gamut of services and programs that we'll introduce into that family and see what they need and what they would like to take up. If the family is a solo parent, Obviously, there's different needs for a solo mum or a solo dad. And then there's the retired police and there's with the 65 and older, our widowers or widowers, there's different services again. So it's peculiar to whatever that family needs at the time. We also have a parents network. So if unfortunately, some police pass away very young without a spouse or without children, but their parents are left behind. And with that, we offers counselling support for those those parents and the ability to have a network of people that have a similar 
life circumstance to support and and lean on each other where they need to. But in relation to the children in particular, that's a, a topic near and dear, zero to 25-year-olds, we make sure that basically that we try and get people back up on their feet. We can't replace that past partner that's and generally the breadwinner, generally the person that's passed away is the breadwinner in, in our experience so far. And it does leave the family in quite desperate circumstances, at least half an income, generally a, a much more lower income. The average is around that $1,000 a fortnight, so that's below the, the poverty line. So in order to support that family, what we'd like to do is we, we offer an education grant annually to the, the kids from zero to 25. And so that doesn't matter what type of study it might be, whether an apprentice, university, kindergarten, preschool, the family will be given an education grant yearly. And last year we spent $400,000 to make sure that those children had access to the education that their least parent would have wished for them. We also support in other ways, like we, we take the kids away on a children's camp twice a year. The 8 to 18-year-olds we take away once a year, but the 12 to 18s will come away for a second camp as well. There's also for the 18 to 25-year-olds, we'll take them away on a, on a weekend and introduce them to go-karting and, and lots of fun stuff like that. But the children's camps are amazing experiences for me as well and, and for all the supervisors that attend because it's a really, it's a rich insight into their child's life and the genetics of policing, it goes straight through into the kids and it's like being sometimes in a police meal room when you sit with kids that are having their lunch. They talk like police, they sound like police. They're amazing little replicas of their parents and um, wonderful sense of humour, wonderful sense of right and wrong just the, the very best of us, quite frankly. They're, it's lovely to watch how they interact with each other and give permission to each other to be okay and to be find happiness and to understand that each other has bad circumstances, but it's okay. They don't have to be sad forever. They can find some happiness in life as well. And I see that play out in each of the children's camps I've been to, and it's the most amazing, miraculous experience to see a child smile again when they've found every day quite difficult as you could imagine. So also for children, especially teenagers, we make sure that we allocate 10 driving lessons to the children that may have only the one parent that's got to help them get their hours up and things like that. We have a safe driving course which goes for the whole day and sometimes two days and we have uh, they come and they drive cars and they get taught by police things to consider and members of the public on, on how the best way to be safe on the roads. We also have the capacity to help children find work and to gain employment. We help them navigate that, that arena as well and introduce them into ways to have access to opportunities that they may, may not have, but they might have had their police parent being available, i.e. there's things like we've just introduced a new, we're introducing a scholarship around studying law. There's others around hospitality. There's others around all sorts of industry depending on on the needs of the child, the interests of the child. There's um, one child at the moment having a go at landscaping and he's doing a great job. And it's really peculiar to that family and to that child. We, we just see what the need is and we see where we can assist. And then for the older children, like the 18 to 25-year-olds, it's again, it's that ongoing support, which you notice that it's not as needed because they're up and running. That's what you want to see. You want to see the children up and running and, 
and getting on with their lives and, and living their best life. And then for the solo parents, it's they may need support to transition back to work and support around getting additional studies under their belt. We support them with that as well. And we have a wellbeing weekend where they go away and spend a time, sometimes the first time away from their children, and just spend time with other people that have gone through a similar circumstance, again, to support each other, lean on each other, and just be in that safe place and hear, you know, a little bit about how they can manage their own lives in a way that supports them and their family. And then my favourites, the oldies, the senior legatees, uh, Adam, police officers pick the best partners. They're the most amazing women and men and it's been a real privilege. They're scallywags. They tell the most outrageous stories. They're funny. They're irreverent. They're everything you could wish for, but they're also solid as a rock. And you spend time with them at times, at, be it a luncheon or be it uh, sewing a bear because they create police bears. These ladies that have been through so much continue to contribute. They create these police bears out of police shirts and they sell them so they can donate money back to Legacy. That's how amazing they are. And they're just so supportive of each other, but they're just beautiful human beings, quite frankly. And it just gave me an appreciation of my own family. And, you know, the many times I did a night work and I was away from that function or that event from my children or my partner, it, it does give you a, a bigger appreciation for the sacrifice they make themselves for you to put yourself out there and to to be what the community needs at that time, be it 2 a.m. in the morning or, or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And we make it willingly. We put our hands up and we volunteer to do that and we get paid well to do it and we're very grateful for that. But we do it because we want to help the community. But our families, they do it just because they love us. They want us to be, um, you know, good members of society, contributors to society as well, but they also just do it because they want the best for us. And so they, they put up with what they miss out on and they manage and they cope without it. That's one of the things. There's many things I've learned, but <laughs> that's one of them, Adam. I think you've summed it up beautifully. For me, making this little podcast has been quite instructive because having spoken to Kim Howe about her loss and what her family went through, she's decided that she wants to come and work with you at Police Legacy New South Wales. Wow. That tells me what this means to people. All those years ago, she feels a kinship to other police who've gone through the same aspect, but also people working in Legacy. So that's a nice thing, isn't it? It's beautiful. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Uh, it, it's, it's very good work. Uh, I came here thinking, oh, it would be really a sad place to work. But it's the opposite. It's a, it's a place of hope. It's a place of, of great joy and, and it's very special people. You wouldn't wish it on anyone, but once you're here, it's a very, very, very beautiful place to be. Fantastic. I think we'll leave it there, Donna, on that note. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for your support. That was Superintendent Donna McCarthy. If you'd like more information on Police Legacy, please go to the show notes for a link. Next time in the season final, we speak to the Rotary Policeman of the Year for 2023. Inspector Hassan El Kanza about his career at his present work at the cutting edge of emergency management and disaster response and the summer bushfire season ahead. Thanks for listening. 
Inside the New South Wales Police Force is a Real Crime Australia production in association with the New South Wales Police Force. The host producer is Adam Shand. Editing and imaging by Matt Dwyer. For New South Wales Police, Christian Schweitzer, Sergeant Emma Key, Senior Constable Ashley Bold and Anthony Bray and the New South Wales Police Force Band. To find out more about any of our products discussed on today's episode, search Police Bank inside New South Wales Police. Alternatively, speak to one of the Police Bank team on 131 728. This podcast is also proudly brought to you by Charles Sturt University, providing education for the New South Wales Police Force and law enforcement worldwide for over 30 years. Do you want to become a cop or further your policing career? We can help. Visit csu.edu.au forward slash policing to learn more.